Hey, I tend to get super nervous when we have somebody on the podcast that I've never met or even spoken to, and having Mark Agnesi from Gibson Guitars and formerly the GM of Norm's Rare Guitars in L.A. affected me the same way. Much to my thankful surprise, he could not have been more open, easy to talk to, smiling all the time, and just a fantastic chat. I'm really glad we had some time to get to know each other a little bit, and I'm glad he's moved to Nashville because I look forward to hanging out with him a little bit more when we can leave our homes. This is Gibson Guitars, Director of Brand Experience, Mark Agnesi. Well, so again, thank you for coming to Thinking and Drinking. I really appreciate you doing this. Where Where are you right now? Are you at the office? Are you at home? I'm at home right now. I'm just up, up here in my uh, in my office. Nice. Well, it looks like you got uh, got some uh, some weapons of mass destruction behind you there. Yeah, there's a few things uh, to have some fun with up here. You know. <laughs> Perks of the industry, if you will. Indeed, indeed, man. Well, dude, I I first became aware of you, not to be to sound rude, but from from Norm's uh, Instagram, where you yeah. were playing guitars all the time. I mean, are, are you from? Southern Cal, you are you a SoCal boy? I was actually an Ohio boy. I grew up in Northeast Ohio in Akron, um, just outside really? of Akron, a town called Wadsworth. Um, and then I moved down here to Nashville for school, and I moved to LA in uh, 2005. So I was in LA for like 14 years, and 10 of that I was uh, the general manager over at Norms. Where did you go to school in Nashville? Uh, Belmont. Belmont okay, grad, so music business, uh, music business major. Yeah, that's what I did. Oh, cool. When were you there? Uh, way before that. <laughs> I've been down here uh, almost a little over thirty years. Oh wow! Okay. And, yeah, and I moved down here to to go to school at Belmont. <laughs> so, well, I mean, are you from a musical family? Uh, not of musicians per se, but I, I'm from a music business family. My dad. Uh, has worked in radio for over 40 years. Uh, wow. 50 years now. I <laughs> uh, haven't done one of these in a while. Yeah. Um, and he's was on air as a jock forever. He's, you know, worked in all aspects of the business. Uh, they run a lot of stations now, some independent stations up in the uh, Northeast Midwest kind of area. Okay. And, uh, he's a lifer in the radio business. My brother also works in radio. Um, so yeah. Musical well, did, business family, but I was the first one to actually pick up an instrument. Well, I did record promotion for 15 years. So what, what chain do you, does your family working for? What, uh, what, what genre of music? Uh, country. Yeah, my dad is named, uh, he goes by Nick Anthony. Um, at a station called WQMX in Akron, oh, yeah. Ohio. Yeah, he did a ton of stuff at, you know, uh, CRS and all this stuff here. Uh, oh, in Nashville and, Yeah. Uh, That's crazy, man. I've been to CRS um, probably 18 or 19 times. Yeah. Back when it was at the I'm, bridge I'm sure bar. Pop, hanging man. at the bridge bar uh, at the Renaissance oh, back when it used to be there. <laughs> well, man, do you write or sing? Because, I mean, you're a pretty snappy guitar player. Do you, are you, is that what your main thing is? Not anymore, man. I feel like I barely play guitar anymore. But yeah, I mean, I always was in bands and was always writing songs and, and, you know, making, making records and stuff like that, which I love doing. Yeah. Um, I did one uh, thing that I ended up never releasing uh, when I was at Norm's. 
uh, of the of the latest things that I had been writing. And uh, yeah, just one of those artistic things where you, you get too close to it for too long and then all of a sudden yeah. you hate it before anybody else has a chance to hear it. So I never ended up never ended up coming out but I, I mean i released records all through my my teen years and and in my that's early cool. and all that kind of stuff yeah well, the, the, did... the deeper and deeper i get into the guitar business the less and less i get a chance to play guitar it's crazy yeah it's it's kind of insane like i remember my wife said to me she goes how come you never play guitar when you're here at the house and i go because i play guitar all day every day and it becomes like I go, you know, a, a, a carpenter doesn't want to come home and pound oh, no. nails. Yeah, exactly. So I go, I just don't play. So, so, okay. I so want to, don't get me wrong. I want to, it's just, right, you know, right. I got two kids and I got, I got, I got other commitments now. <laughs> yeah. So how did you, uh, how'd you get to LA or why did you um, go to LA? You know, Belmont had a, uh, a thing called Belmont West. I'm not sure if that had been established yet. Uh, okay. when you were there, uh, but you could go do a, a semester in LA and, uh, my best friend and I, who were at Belmont both wanted to, to do it. So we waited for our last semester of senior year to go out there and do it. And, and we both fell in love with LA and we flew back for yeah. graduation and, and never looked back. And, you know, it was 14 years straight and, uh, in LA. How'd you get to norms? I mean, in, in Craigslist. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, awesome. I had started in, in, in music retail, uh, shortly after I graduated, I started managing a guitar, uh, department at a store, which is no longer there anymore called West LA music, which was kind of a local chain store in LA. Uh, and that's kind of how I learned the music, you know, the MI business. And then, uh, you know, at that point I was still trying to go pro, you know, so I was, I didn't know anybody in LA. So I figured if I work at the guitar store, I'll start to get plugged in a little bit with, with guys in town and all that stuff. And it, and it did, it ended up working. I started getting enough sideman gigs that I was making enough money that I, uh, I ended up quitting the job to, uh, you know, go pro. But then I would, you know, it takes a lot of 50 and $75 gigs in LA to, to pay rent. So, yeah, you know, I would buy and sell guitars, you know, to, to supplement the income. And when the playing thing kind of stopped, you know, I was looking to get a full-time gig again. And sure enough, on Craigslist, you know, vintage guitar expert needed. And it was, I looked at the addresses right down the street from me. And I was like, that norms? I should go in there. And, and they pretty much hired me on the spot. And so started that decade of, of uh, running norms. Gosh, man. Craigslist, my, man. You got to search Craigslist sometimes. Absolutely. My one time, my only time I've been in Norms, I was out there uh, for a NAM show. And the night before I went to Norms, there was a Rush show at the LA Coliseum and with Steve Morse band opening. Nice. And so I, the next morning, it's like, I'm, I'm going to go to this guitar store, this freaking legendary guitar store. And I walked in and the first thing I saw was an autographed eight by 10 by Eddie Van Halen. And I thought, oh man, I'm already kind of in over my head. And that was back when Norm still had his fro. Oh yeah. And, and he's standing in the back and he looks at me and he goes, can I help you fella? And I thought, 
Oh, dude, I'm so, I was so intimidated. I went, I was just looking and I turned around and I walked right out, man. <laughs> yeah, That's an amazing store though, man. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy how many guitar stories, I mean, how many guitar stories do you have coming out of that place for 10 years? Holy crap. It was almost daily. Something would happen. You know, there's, it's in LA, man. There's always, yeah. I mean, enough people live in town and those ones have become the regulars you see all the time, but then there's always somebody coming through town and, oh, yeah. you know, the store is legendary. And if somebody's got two hours to kill in the afternoon, you know, we would normally see him, you know, in between soundtrack and the gig or, you know, yeah. at some point in the day. So, I mean, you, you know, after a while you just start to know everyone. You have any favorite stories about guys coming in looking for a special, like looking for a 64 Firebird or something, and they come in and they go, hey, Mark, can you help me find this guitar? Is there any stories like we that? Yeah, all sorts. Or, or there's, I mean, there's tons of those. I got to do a couple of pretty cool things. Um, you know, I got to get fairly close with Tom Petty, which was, oh, cool. I, mean, I, got, I got my Petty shirt on yep, right now. Yeah, see that? Um, and I mean, it was probably two years before he passed. They were going out on on the road and they were rehearsing in Culver City at Culver oh, wow. Studios. And I got a phone call from um, Alan Rogan, may he rest in peace, um, yeah. uh, his tech going, dude, we just got ripped off. And like someone just stole like seven guitars from our rehearsal space and they got Tom's Rick 12 and they got oh, Mike's man. broadcaster and they got, you know, his SG junior and they got Scott Thurston's Sheridan and they, you know, a couple other guitars. And, uh, Norm was actually in Palm Springs. Uh, just, you know, Jill had a house out there. So he would just leave me to run the place and, and go cool out for a couple of days. And, yeah. um, so I was supposed to be watching the whole store and I had that phone call and it was like, I started thinking, I was like, oh, I got two blonde Rick 12s in the back and I got two white SG juniors in the back and I got a couple Sheridans and I don't have a broadcaster, but Alan, I'm, I'm going to load up the car. I'm on my way. Uh, and I ended up just leaving the other guys there at the store to run it. And I threw a bunch of guitars in the back of my truck and I drove over to the rehearsal studio, um, which was like full rehearsal. I was like, you know, in an airplane hangar with a full hundred yeah. foot stage and the video wall. And, you know, I mean, they were, yeah. it was tour rehearsals, you know, yeah, it was the right. one thing. And I basically sat there on the side of the stage for about an hour and a half and watched basically a private Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers show of the set that they yeah. were doing for that tour. Uh, and when it was over, yeah, myself, Tom and Mike Campbell, just took all these guitars out to the center of the stage. And we all just kind of sat Indian style in the center of the stage. And Tom just started grabbing Rick 12s and, and dialing in the blend knob till it got just right. And started yeah. banging out, do, 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 and start playing the waiting. And it's like, Oh my God, is this <laughs> and he's like, get the other one and plug it in and do all this shit. And for like a half an hour, it's just like Campbell and Tom and myself just sat there passing guitars around. Um, and it was totally surreal. And then, you know, yeah. they, they were leaving to go on the road in like two days. And like, you know, I was just sitting there. I'm like, guys, just take this. <laughs> it's not yeah. You guys just take this stuff. And, you know, you get your credit for good. it. You know, we'll figure it out later, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, they took it out. And that, that was some of the gear that got used on the road. And then luckily about two weeks later, uh, a friend of ours, Howie Hubberman, had a, a pawn shop in North Hollywood. And uh, the first guitar surfaced in his pawn shop and he 
he obviously was on the lookout, knew what was going on. And they flagged the guy and caught the police. And sure enough, at his place, there was all the rest of the stuff. So they ended up getting all their stuff back. Uh, wow. And then Tom was, you know, gracious enough to, to autograph all the stuff that I had lent him and, and sent it back <laughs> yeah. to the store. So we got some Tom Petty memorabilia out of it as well. Ah, uh, that's so That great. was one of the cooler, one of the cooler stories that, uh, that happened. Well, you've played literally millions of dollars of guitars. Do you have any, any favorites, whether they're the, the half a million dollar 59 last Paul or whether the $199 Mexican tally? I mean, is there, is there any favorites you have? There's a quite a few favorites I had over the years and they're not always the most expensive ones. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, uh, do a lot of acoustic playing, but when you hit, a great acoustic guitar it's magical and you can normally tell it in the first yeah. chord there was a uh, a banner a gibson banner southern jumbo oh, man. 1943 that wasn't like i mean it was like 12 grand or something like that which is I mean, it's a lot of money but it's not like sure thunderous less paul money and you just hit like one chord on it and it's like the freaking you know skies opened up it was uh it was one of those just absolutely magical guitars that I wish I could, that I could have if I was ever going back in the studio to make a record. That thing was absolutely killer. Um, Amos, the Karina Flying V, oh, the yeah, Joe Bonamassa, which has become quite famous since that sale. That was another one that was like, I love Karina yeah. guitars. I'm staring at my Karina Flying V over here right now, but uh, what's not a 58, you know? <laughs> and those so guitars just kind of have a freaking aura around him when you see him in person <clears throat> excuse me yeah dude i i i was on the road so much record company days that i totally missed oasis as a band yeah and a buddy of mine was working at atlantic and he just kept shoveling me oasis cds and then 20 years went by and i go you know i've got all these fantastic dreadnoughts and everything and this is a total compliment that doesn't sound like a compliment to Gibson acoustic guitars. But I told my wife, I said, I don't have that mid range dead string thud of a Gibson guitar that is so wonderful. And I, man, yep. I found a, uh, I found a 64 country Western that is exactly what yep. you're talking about. It's like, you just hit that thing. It's like, I, I don't know that I'll ever change the strings on that thing. It's just, it's perfect the way it Why is. Why would you? Man. When it's perfect. Exactly. Why would you? Yeah, absolutely. Is, is there any super expensive guitars <laughs> you've played that you thought were just crap? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> everything, question. everything, if you play enough of them, you'll find some ones that aren't so great. Yeah. You know, they're not all awesome, but yeah. then, you know, you get into like custom color stuff and the price really jacks up and you know, you're all of a sudden you got some rare color strat and it's, you know, $70,000 yeah. because of the color and you play it and it's like, this sounds, <laughs> you know, this sounds the same as a $15,000 sunburst strat. You know, I, I get right. it's more collectible for the color, but man, it ain't, it ain't, doesn't sound 70 grand you know it's like when when mesa boogie started putting wicker grills on their 112s 
I told my wife, I go, that's, that's what a dentist is going to put in the corner of his office. It's going to sound great, but it ain't going to sound any That's better. got blues lawyer written all over it. Right there. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Well, man, you spent 10 years at norms. How did you, how did the Gibson thing come about? How did you talk your wife into moving halfway across the United States? Yeah, that was something. You know, um, she's she's an LA girl. She was born and raised in LA, and she had oh, never, man. she had never lived anywhere outside of LA, let alone the South. Um, you know, retail had run its course for me. I uh, yeah, you know, ten years of being the general manager. There's really nowhere else to right to go. Um, yeah, and the schedule. You know, we had two kids by that point. And, you know, the retail schedule was Tuesday through Saturday. So I worked every Saturday for a decade, which, you know, is fine when you don't have kids. But like once you start to have kids, you know, like life, life happens on on Saturdays. There's, you know, soccer games and and family get togethers and soccer games. Yeah. Get to do, you know, and and, uh, my my wife was sick of feeling like a single mom at everything. And I was you know, yeah. sick of missing everything. So, you know, we, we had tie, I was like, I have to, I got to find something else. Um, Cesar, uh, Goykian, who's the, the CMO of Gibson. I had, yeah. I had become friends with through guitar of the day. He, he, he was a, a regular victim of mine where, you know, he, <laughs> he, he'd see a, a, an episode and call me the next morning and go, Hey dude, is this a good one? I was like, yeah, this is a good one. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I sold him probably six or seven guitars over, you know, the course of a couple, a couple of years. And, and one day I got a, a, a phone call from him going like, Hey dude, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, man, just, we're, you know, just chilling here. And you see all this crazy Gibson stuff about bankruptcy. And he's like, well, that's, that's why I'm calling, uh, you know, can't tell anybody this, but we're, we're, we're going to be taking over. I'm like, hmm. you're taking, cause I knew it was like, I knew it was in banking and all that kind of stuff and private equity things. I, but, and I knew it was a guitar collector. So, I mean, I guess it kind of made sense, but he's like, yeah, can't say anything yet, but we're, we're, we, you know, KKR is going to take over Gibson and uh, I'm going to be one of the guys running it. And I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. And, yeah. um, you know, that was a few months before everything else had happened. And, and I was like, my wife was asking me, you know, like, well, what are you going to do? I mean, we're going to look for a different industry. And it's like, I mean, I, at this point I have hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram on, you know, yeah. on the guitar, of the day guys, like, I, I'm not going to go sell insurance. I was like, no, I know I'm going to make one phone <laughs> call. I'll make one phone call and, and, and it's going to be fine. She's like, all right. So I, I, I called Cesar and I'm like, dude, I got to get out of this retail thing. What do you, you know, what do you got for me over there? And he was kind of, uh, hold tight and, uh, don't do anything stupid. Just, uh, you know, yeah, be patient. I'll get back to you. And about, uh, two weeks later, I'm having lunch in Beverly Hills with JC and, and Cesar, uh, just so, uh, JC can meet me uh, for the first time. And we sat and talked for an hour or so. And, and then the NAM show was finally coming up. That was the, the 2019 NAM show where they finally okay. came back and showed everything and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
and the the week leading up to Nam, he was in LA uh, at the showroom, and he called me. He's like, "Hey, dude, why don't you come over? I want to show you all the new stuff that that we've been working on uh, before the show. You know, before everybody else sees." I'm like, "Yeah, that's cool. You know, I'll come over." So I went over, and he started showing me all the new Les Paul standards and all the new stuff that they'd been working yeah. on, and the product architecture of how they they uh, reorganized the lines and stuff. And I got to play some things. I'm like, "God, man, you guys killed it. You guys knocked it out of the park." This is so great. And then all of a sudden I look and JC pokes his head out of this office. He's like, Oh, you're here. Oh, let's, let's do this live. And he brought me, they brought me into the back thing and they just kind of hit me with the job. I mean, I knew content would be a big part of it. Cause I, you know, that's making uh, content was what I was doing. And yeah. I thought I was just going to work out of the LA showroom and, and produce content and all that stuff. But then they kind of hit me with, um, the other aspect of my job and, and the other aspect of my job, which will be coming to light soon here. I'm still really not supposed to talk about it, but uh, oh, cool. I've got cool. something in the works right now in Nashville that obviously I needed to, I needed to be in Nashville for, um, Golly, man. and it's like, Oh, I got to go talk to my wife. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you know, we're about to move our family of four across the country. And, um, yeah, we weren't totally sure about the move. You know, I had, yeah. I had lived here. I, 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 at that point, wasn't, I was a Los Angelino, and my wife had never left uh, town. No doubt. And uh, I called Cesar to talk about it, and, you know, he, he gave me a pretty hard sell. You know, he said, you know, we're writing the next chapter, the history of this, of this company. Yeah, man. And, and you know. No doubt. I want your name to be in the history book along with mine, you know, right next to Ted McCarty and Les Paul and Bill Gibson and all this shit. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I, I have to do this. You know? So how long, how long have you been here? Um, I've been working for the company now for uh, about 18 months. I've been in okay. town. I've, I've been in Nashville now since uh, June of last year. So yeah, about okay. 14 months in town now. So you knew since you'd been here before, you knew what part of town you wanted to live in and all that. Kind yeah, of stuff. I had ideas on that, but I gotta tell you, man, I got off the plane the first day to, to, to come to headquarters. I was like, where the hell am I? <laughs> I had no idea what city I was in. I mean, I saw the yeah. Batman building. I was like, okay, yeah. I, I'm in Nashville, but like, what the hell is all of this? I, I, I mean, I hadn't been here in over a decade. And uh, yeah, I, I was Wait. lost. So you weren't coming to the summer NAMs and stuff like that with Norm? No, I mean, we barely went no. to winter NAM with Norm, you know, okay. hated the NAM show and I tried to avoid <laughs> it like the plague. Uh, as did I, I'm not so lucky anymore to, you know, to get yeah. out. But, you know, I have a different, I have a different purpose there now. Uh, yeah, for sure. Before, so it's, uh, I've actually started to grow to um, somewhat enjoy the NAM show. If there will ever be another NAM show again, who knows? With, yeah, uh, you no know, kidding. Uh, with yeah. what's going on now. I mean, they're planning for winter NAM in January, but I, yeah, that's, that's a coin toss whether or not that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so JC comes from the clothing industry. I mean, this is so goofy of me to ask you this, but do you think he brought any of that marketing or any of that mindset from clothing industry into high-end wonderful guitars yeah he brought a lot of things to the mix that 
don't necessarily have to do with guitars, but yeah, I mean, one, he brought, you know, how to save a big brand, which he had already yeah. done with Levi's, how to take right, right, right. an iconic brand that had fallen and how, and, and, and what it takes to bring that brand back to glory. So he brought that. And he also brought how to take a startup from nothing to, to glory and, and coming out of <laughs> bankruptcy. We, that's what we, we keep, we, we call ourselves a 126 year old startup, you know, <laughs> that's cool. So we've yeah, got, I love that. I mean, so he brought those two elements, you know, and he's a guitar player and he plays and he loves yeah. it and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Cesar brought the, the real guitar passion to it and, and was also a turnaround specialist. That's what he specialized his whole career okay. in his turning companies around. JC brought that iconic brand experience and, and that yeah. startup, that, that agility that's needed to, to work around things when you're a startup and you don't have, you know, the capital to just start throwing stuff around and make mistakes, you know? So between those two guys, I think there really was a, an incredibly clear vision on, on how to, to get us out of the situation that we, uh, came That's really to cool. and, and, yeah. and it's paying off, you know? So what does a director of brand experience do? <laughs> Good question. Spend the first <laughs> six months of his job trying to figure out what the hell he is supposed to do, you know? You know, brand experience is uh, is really about what you see, what the customer sees, and 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 how they look at the brands, how they want to to see things, how they want things to be told to them, how to explain things to those people. So okay. part of it's content. Part of it was bringing my my product knowledge and my retail knowledge of of the last decade of what I had heard people ask for in the store. Uh, hey, your product knowledge has to be through the roof. Yeah. But then also, you know, brand storytelling and yeah. being able to tell the stories of, of the brand so that people, people get it and that, that your passion for it gets transferred yeah. to them. Um, I, I, you know, I think the vast majority of, of my job is, is to be a storyteller. And, and it's not just through Gibson TV or the, the content and the shows that I'm producing, but it's, it's my job to share the brand with everyone. So everyone loves it as much as I do, which, you know, that, yeah. it's my, it, it is my brand. There's no other brand that I could imagine working for other than Gibson. Oh man. Everybody, every guitar player in the world has a story about a Gibson. I mean, I got a 56 Les Paul Jr. right behind me. I could go on for hours about that thing. It's it. Yeah, you're that's absolutely correct. So do you see any, and, and this is a weird question. Do you see any guitar for lack of better word holes in the Gibson guitar line? Or do you guys think you have it pretty much? pretty much covered. Are you involved in introducing new models or yeah, no, I, models? Yeah. Product development is something I'm also involved in. So, you know, I float around to all sorts of things, whether it's marketing initiatives, product development things, the other projects that I'm, that I'm working on that, that you guys will have more information on here, especially in town shortly, but yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm in every aspect of, of what the product is and how we market it. Uh, even though neither one of those are really particularly my job. 
<laughs> but back to your question, um, I don't see a lot of holes in the Gibson line. However, yeah. there are there are things that we haven't had a chance to, um, you know, Dobro is a brand that we own that that is right. currently dormant, um, which there's huge potential there. And it's another one of those icon brands. It's like it's I mean, Dobro is like Kleenex. You know, yeah, people, okay. people just see something with a metal uh, cones in the center and they go, oh, check out that, that Dobro over there, whether it's a national yeah. or it's a, you know, it's one yeah. of those names that's like, you know, Xerox or, or Kleenex or something. It's just yeah. synonymous with any, uh, you know, resophonic guitar. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we had to fix Gibson first. Yeah. Gibson was broken and, and Gibson had to be fixed first. And, and this past year, you know, we completely relaunched the Epiphone brand and we completely are, are relaunching Kramer right now as we speak, which I'm so excited about um, having uh, <laughs> the opportunity to do something with Kramer, which again is a brand that, that we've owned for over a decade and just really haven't done anything with. Yeah. Um, and now we've got this, this whole new team in place and we're all, we all come from that era of music and we all, you know, had shred guitars back when we were growing oh, up and cutting our teeth and stuff. And we're all like, we're so stoked about what's happening or what's about to happen with Kramer. Cause we've got, yeah. we've got some serious artists that are about to start uh, coming out on the, on the Kramer train here. And, and we, we plan on being highly disruptive in the marketplace <laughs> with, with Kramer. You know, and it's a, and it's a totally a separate market than Gibson or Epiphone really plays. In. Yeah, but it's still about thirty percent of the market of total guitar sales is the is the the shredder stuff, whether it's Jackson or ESP, it really? or, you know, Jackson, Charvel, ESP, Ibanez, Schecter, yeah. you know, all of these companies. You know, we plan on being highly disruptive in the coming years with with uh, with Kramer. Well, I've had uh, Dave Rude, Gordon Kennedy, Ricky Medlock. You know, which are all Gibson all and our Epiphone ours, and and man, you know, and nobody ever says there's not a bad word to say about Gibson for sure. So that's that's pretty awesome, man. You guys are definitely making a difference, and you're definitely turning around a company. I mean, I'm 55 years old, and I've known about Gibson since I was born. So I'm I'm thankful that there are guitar lovers, not just businessmen or women you know, taking over this, this company, man, it's like, you guys are really guitar lovers and that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Because it, without passion, man, we all go away. Yeah. It's a, a, a huge responsibility that, that none of us take lightly or for granted that we're yeah. here and that we're stewards of this, this brand that we've all loved so much for so long. And, and um, one of the coolest things that happened since I've been here is um, we really mm. broke the walls down between the different brands. When, when I first, when, when they took over and when I first got here, every brand was kind of in its own silo. Like the guys from the custom shop didn't talk to the guys from Gibson USA and Epiphone right. was over here by itself. And they all had their own thing going on. And, and, you know, we just ripped all of those walls down brought everybody together, put them in the same room. And now it's really like this, this, you know, think tank of some of the yeah. most incredible guitar minds 
in the world, all in one room, all in service to all the brands. So, you know, if, if Epiphone wants to do something in USA is done at the custom shop is done at they're sharing drawings or they're sharing building techniques or they're sharing, you know, we're, every, everybody works together now and everyone works in service to, to every brand. And that's not just product, but marketing and entertainment relations are now it, it's, you know, the, those walls came down and, and I think we were, we were on a, a call the other day and it was like, I think we have like close to 400 years of industry experience right now yeah. in the product development team. You know, it's, it's crazy that's and it's crazy that that's how they had it set up before. I mean, the, the, the business units almost were, were in competition against competition. Yeah. And that's what they wanted. They wanted people to you know, be afraid. And, and uh, you know, that was how they controlled things. And it's like, I'm so happy to see that when we bring everybody together, the, uh, the kind of the results that we can get, from a design well, dude, products. You guys are like, like John F. Kennedy said, a rising tide raises all boats. Yeah. And that's, and that's what absolutely, you guys absolutely the philosophy behind it. And yeah. it, and it absolutely has been a game changer. So, so what is in your, I can see your amplifiers there. What's in your collection that you're proud of, or you just love playing, whether it's a Epiphone Sheraton or if it's a 59 Les Paul, what are, what are, what are you really digging? This, um, is, a uh, this was my first Gibson guitar. This is a 57 gold top from the custom shop that, um, Dude. my wife actually bought me for, uh, Christmas, the first, our first year together before back when we were just boyfriend and girlfriend, she, she bought me this guitar for Christmas. I was, a, you know, <laughs> awesome. I was in LA struggling musician. I was doing sessions and doing stuff. And, you know, what, what do I need to bring? I'm going to bring a, a Les Paul and bring a Strat and bring a Tele. And I never yeah. had Les Paul. Um, I always had to borrow something from somebody. So I looked like I was professional <laughs> enough to have all the tools. And, and, and she bought me this guitar for, uh, our first Christmas, it's, it's still my favorite guitar that I own. It's still the best sounding guitar that I own. Yeah. Uh, I always say that that doesn't stop me from, from buying more of them. Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of, this is the guitar that, that all other guitars get, have to judged, measure up get to. judged by. Um, my second favorite uh, is this guy right here, which is a, um, oh, man. uh, 1982, Heritage Karina Flying V, which uh, I was born in 82. So this is kind of the first okay. uh, birth year guitar that I uh, have had. Um, I awesome. fell in love with this style of Flying V the very first time I ever saw one, which was uh, when I was a kid, I would go into Akron Music Center. And this was like, you know, mid 80s. And like yeah. all the guitars were like graphic finishes and everything, yeah. you know, looked like from a <laughs> music video. Bolts. And then like way tucked back in the corner was a Karina Flying V. And it was almost just like the light was just shining right on this guitar. And I saw it. that's the cool one right there. That's where I'm um, going. I, and I always, I always wanted one of them. And um, would you pay for that? You know what? I actually, this guitar came into norms. Um, and you know, a big part of the collectability on these guitars uh, is they originally had Tim Shaw uh, right. in them. Uh, yeah, and, I've got an eighty-one three thirty-five that has Tim Shaw. Tim Shaw's, yeah. In it. Yeah. Um, yep. This guitar came in from John Shanks. Uh, oh, okay. Producer. Uh, yeah. And it had 
uh, not the Tim Shaw's in it. And it had like a little hole here in the pit guard where there used to be like a phase era toggle okay. switch that somebody added and stuff. And it just sat on the wall. It just sat there for months. Nobody <laughs> wanted it. Um, and uh, Joe Bonamassa had given me um, a set. Seymour Duncan had made um, copies of the Amos pickups uh, okay. from the custom shop that, you know, Joe put out with, with Seymour Duncan. And as a gift, Joe had given me a set of those. Oh, man. Um, so I sold them the guitar and all that stuff. Um, and they were just sitting in a box in my office. And I was just like, and I opened them up and would look at them. They had gold covers on them. And it's like, what the hell am I ever going to? put these humbuckers in. I'd really like to use them. And then like the light bulb click, but there was a Karina flying V that no one was buying with the wrong <laughs> pickups. And Joe had just given me a set of pickups based off of a 58 Karina flying V, which I sold. Yeah. And uh, I put it all together and I actually traded Norm. I had a Pelham blue firebird, uh, five. That was a cool. the custom shop that nice. uh, this thing wasn't selling. So he traded me for that. I think Dave Amato from Ario Speedwagon and built the back of the car. Nice. Um, so I got it and put a new pick guard on it and put a new harness in it and dropped Joe's pickups in there. Damn. And it's just absolutely killer. And I, I reached out to John Shanks. I'm like, Shanks, I, I got I got your V. And he's like, the the Karina V? And I'm like, yeah, man, that's, that's so cool. And he's like, oh, that, you know, that guitar, you know, I got that guitar from Joe Satriani. Uh, and, what? you know, it was Satriani's guitar and he had DiMarzio's in it. He put this phase switch that was in the pit guard and all this stuff. So I ended up, uh, finding out. Wow. So it was, it was Satriani's V and then it was Shanks's guitar. And then I got it and now it has the, the Amos, uh, pickups Dude. in there that, that Joe gave me. So this one is sentimental to me for a whole bunch. Yeah. Everything else is utility. You know, I've got my V35, I've got an SG, I've got a staple pickup custom. Um, this is another guitar I just got at the end of last year, which is really cool. It's the only acoustic guitar that I own, but it's a 1937, uh, L in black with the fire stripe guard, which Dude. is, um, it's That's just, gorgeous. It's super cool. And it is gorgeous. It's the one acoustic guitar I keep around. Uh, I keep around the house. And, so, so it can if, I can for a while. Go, if I can go back real quickly, you said you, you found Amos for Joe. I didn't find it. That was part of Norm's collection. Um, it was in Norm's book. And um, every time Joe would come in, you know, right when he started buying Sunburst Les Pauls yeah. and everyone started knowing him as the guy that was buying Sunburst Les Pauls. Right. Like, Dude, how many of those Les Pauls are you going to buy? You know what you really need? You need a Karina flying bee. <laughs> and he was like, ah, the whole thing. Um, and I would always break his balls about it. And he was out doing the, um, the three Kings tour when he was doing, okay. you know, the, you know, BB and, and Freddie and Albert songs and all that. Yeah. stuff. And he had borrowed, uh, from Ronnie Proler, um, a Karina set, um, that actually came from Rick Vito, uh, from who was in Fleetwood. Oh, wow. Other bands. Okay. Uh, I was like a double pit guard Karina V and an explorer. Uh, so Joe had uh, this Karina set with him out on the road for that. Uh, whole entire tour and I think you know he had finally got the Karina bug and, and yeah. they were the last show of the tour they were doing in LA at the Greek theater uh it's the one that they filmed for the DVD and all okay. that stuff and about two days before the gig I get a phone call from Joe going um you know maybe we should uh you know after the show uh at the Greek you know and the tour is done 
maybe you should talk to Norm about maybe what my price would be on that guitar. Maybe we should go into storage. So, you know, we all went to the Greek and, and, and saw the show and we were all hanging out. And uh, the next morning, Norm and myself took Joe into the warehouse and, and pulled it out. And uh, the rest is uh, history. Is that where you did your guitar playing things back in the shop there? Was that behind that was, the shop? That was just the back room of the shop. The warehouse okay. is literally a Beacon's warehouse in like the okay. middle of the valley. That Norm just has big wood crate containers, about 14 of them that are just full of guitars that he has stashed over, over the years. Man. And that amazing. was one that he had, he had put away. And like, yeah, like, so it's in, it's in his book and all of that. Yeah. All that it, stuff. The book, the book is great. The book is fantastic. And it was but, a cool, uh, I mean, one of the oddities about that guitar is it, it has a black pick guard, but it has a white yeah. poker chip around the um, input jack plate. Oh, I never thought about that. Norm had always assumed the black one had cracked and someone just put a white one on there, you know? So um, as soon as we sold it to Joe and about two hours later, Mike Hickey, Joe's tech, which I I think you got Hickey on. (laughs) He's chatty as Joe would say. (laughs) He sends me pictures and now the pictures are all over the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Amos Arthur from Arthur's Music sitting in the showroom of Arthur's Music with the flying V and hang tags hanging off of it. And sure enough, it shipped with a black pickguard and a white poker chip. And, you know, Norm, Norm wow. never knew the story or where it had come from or any of that kind of stuff. And within about two hours, um, Hickey uh, had found it. And, and since then, another friend of mine had sent me some pictures. I think we know who maybe the original owner of it was, which is a guy named Pete Mitchell who played. Wow. Um, God, I'm trying to think now who he played with, but he played with a, a fairly prominent touring country band that very easily could have gone through Illinois or through Indiana uh, and Arthur's music. And uh, that name sounds so familiar to me, man. Like there's like a from killer the, picture of, of Pete playing it. Man. It probably yeah. in the 1960s, there's this amazing picture of a black and white photo of him playing with just like perfectly uh, greased up pompadour. And sure enough, white poker chip, black pit guard. I don't know how, I think Pete Townsend's has that same aesthetic. So obviously they did okay. a few of them, but I don't know how many exist um, for certain. But there's a picture of one that very easily could have been Amos, yeah. you know. It, it, there's there's all those kind of things like i've got a 61 strat and there's no backplate on it and there's no holes drilled for it so it's not like somebody just took it off it's like you just go you i don't know was it, that was it, yeah it was just and i don't know man well do you want to do my lightning round real quick i know you got, you got stuff to do here so this is just i'm just gonna fire questions at you and you just give me the first answer off the top of your head if sure. you want to Cool. What's your What's your favorite book? Uh, oh, the places you will go by Dr. Seuss. Really? Read it to my kids at least twice a week. Definitely oh, my favorite awesome. book. A lot of wisdom in it. That's awesome. Are you a bath or a shower guy? I'm a shower guy. Nice. What's the last gift you gave someone? Um, I gave uh, a a kid a Nerf gun. Over the week, I, I go to like four birthday parties a weekend right now. I think the last <laughs> gift I gave somebody was a Fortnite nice. branded Nerf gun. Nice. 
<laughs> what was the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? Uh, first concert I remember actually uh, asking to go see was Weird Al Yankovic, who was opening up for the Monkees at, <laughs> at Blossom Music Center. I, was, I had been to tons of shows because my dad worked in radio and, you know, we always had yeah. tickets and stuff. But uh, yeah, show, of course, yeah. I remember actually wanting to go see was, was Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, and that's awesome. So what's the favorite song you wish you would have written or sang on? Oh, you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. Nice. Nice. This is kind of unfair to you because of your, your history, but if money was no option, what guitar would you buy? Oh, I would buy an original Karina Flying B. Really? Over a burst any day. Over a burst, over an Explorer, over anything? Yeah. The V is, the V is, to me is the most iconic guitar ever made. Do you yeah. show the, picture of 10 guitars to a three-year-old kid and tell them to pick out the cool one. <laughs> I guarantee you nine times out of 10, they're going to point to the flying V. And I think there's yeah. got to be some wisdom in that. That's awesome, man. What would you be doing if you weren't doing, if you weren't doing guitars, what would you be doing? I have no idea. Yeah. But honestly, this is the only <laughs> thing. This is the only thing I have ever done to make money was either teach people how to play guitars, play guitar professionally, sell guitars or, you know, what I'm doing now. I honestly awesome. don't. I honestly don't know. What are you listening to these days? Right now, man, it's a lot of the classics. Um, I've been going back. I just finally bought a record player. I held off on that, and and my wife and I have been uh, collecting vinyl uh, for the last couple of weeks. Here, we just keep buying stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm going back to all of my favorite guitar players. I'm buying all the Freddie King stuff on. On vinyl, I'm buying, you know, yeah. Muddy Waters on vinyl. I'm buying BB King and I'm buying Albert King and, and, you know, all of those, those records that I remember listening to as kids, you know, I, I just want to have that stuff on in the house in the yeah. background for my kids to hear. And I think vinyl is probably the best way to do it. I always think if you take the Kings and you take the Steves, there's Stevie Ray Vaughan, Steve Vai, Steve Lukather, Steve Stevens, Steve, and Steve Morris. And if you take those guys and the Kings, you go like, eh, we're done. Pretty much nail it all right there. <laughs> so my last question is, do you still have that leather jacket? I do. I have retired nice. it. I have now I think I've, had, I think I've gotten three new leather jackets since then. Um, but yeah, it's retired. I, I have some sort of idea at some point it'll get in a glass case and it'll It'll go up in my office or something like that, but I haven't, uh, I haven't done anything with it yet, but yeah, I still have it. And, um, yeah, man, a lot of episodes in that jacket. Oh man, seriously. All me and my, my guitar friends used to sit around and talk about what guitars you were playing. It's like, Oh man, I love that. I love that. And you were doing such a great job. And then we would always end up with that jacket, man, that, that, that puffy jacket it's like it was such a classic part of your your shtick man it was awesome yeah hopefully there'll be a little bit more of me playing guitar again uh on Good. coming soon um back in april i did a a daily you know right when quarantine started during all this stuff i i yeah i convinced everybody to to let me give away an epiphone guitar every single day for a month um and i kind of started re kind of to do guitar of the day from my house and we would give away the guitar at the end of everything excellent um, I'm bringing that 
concept back here yeah, soon, but I'm going to do it once a week and I'm going to start giving away Gibsons. Awesome. So uh, Gibson TV here, hopefully we're hoping for September. Um, I'll start doing the weekly guitar giveaway and we'll start giving away some, some expensive. You want to, uh, you want to uh, plug your, your socials here? Yeah. You find me on Instagram at, at Mark Agnesi for all things, guitar content, YouTube, go to Gibson TV. Really, really proud of, uh, of everything uh, that we've done so far uh, on Gibson TV. And if you're not familiar with it right now, we have 10 different original series um, that we're producing, none of which have really anything to do with the guitars that we sell. You know, <laughs> so sick of product demos and feature videos. I just really wanted to focus on creating content that guitar players would enjoy to watch, but not necessarily just sitting there telling you the specs of a guitar. Yeah. I think, I think the stories that these guitars have to tell are a hell of a lot more compelling than, you know, the fingerboard radius or what kind of pickups are in. Right. Yeah. So that's really what we focus on. And yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, check out Gibson TV on YouTube. There's all sorts of fun stuff over a whole variety of different topics from how we build them to people who collect them to the stores they're sold in to iconic artists who have made the music we love with them. There's all sorts of uh, really cool cinematically shot, beautiful content up there yeah. coming now for free. Man, that's awesome. Thank you so, so much. For Dude, thank you for this. having me. This was fun. And uh, I, I hope I get a shake your hand one of these days. One of these days when shaking hands is allowed again. <laughs> yes. um, I, I definitely look forward to it. <laughs> and I look forward to you seeing this thing I'm working on in Nashville because it's going to be fun. Oh, it's supposed to already be, it's already supposed to be a thing, but everything got <laughs> shifted back. Hopefully, hopefully by November, I'll be able to finally talk about it. Let the cat out of the bag because awesome, man. it'll also make my director of brand experience title make a little more sense. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard to explain to people when you can't tell them the big piece of the puzzle. You know? Dude, that's awesome, man. Thank you, Mark. Dude, thank you for having me. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Bye.